there's a certain level of like delusion that is easy to maintain when you're living somewhere like in the middle of Thailand or Vietnam or Colombia. You're able to like put yourself in this little bubble where a thousand bucks a month buys you a great lifestyle. And so you're able to convince yourself that you're like doing really important, amazing things. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Alrighty, and I'm looking on our website right now. A lot of cool things on the website, including a picture of me and you. And on the side of it, it says, Tropical MBA is a popular podcast and blog dedicated to the growing movement of location-independent entrepreneurs worldwide. This lifestyle of the location-independent entrepreneur, we talk about it a bunch of different ways. We say location-independent entrepreneur. Some people say, I'm just a traveler. Some people say, I'm just an entrepreneur. Some people say, I'm a digital nomad, which is actually quite a contentious term. Even, you know, location-independent is kind of like pretentious. You know what I mean? Like, why would you call yourself a digital nomad? Like, I saw somebody on a chat board the other day say, hey, I'm a digital nomad coming to Barcelona. Does anybody want to meet up? And one guy in there was just like, hey, man, like my wife's been working remotely for seven years she doesn't call herself a digital nomad like what gives (laughs) do you think the term is necessary we're probably in some kind of teething phase right now where we're trying to articulate what this new lifestyle is like and this is new that you can travel across the world and work from kind of anywhere and so i think people are looking for ways to define that So, you know, some people might not like the term digital nomad, remote worker. I don't necessarily like that for myself. But I think at the core of it, what you're trying to explain to people is that you have the ability to live in different parts of the world as you choose. And while you're there, you're not a tourist. You are working. It's to describe that disassociation and then the lifestyle that happens because of it. Because I think, you know, if you wind back the clock 50 years If you're earning a living, people are generally either paying you to be in one place or paying you to be in many places. So if you're somewhere, you're getting paid to be there. Yeah. But in our community, there's just a disconnect between those two things. Like your earning might have nothing to do with your location. And that's a pretty crazy phenomenon. It is interesting, though, especially being in the circles that we're in, that you start to hear these terms and you start to associate certain groups of people with them. You know, so like I'll paint you a picture. Like in my mind, like a digital nomad is a person. It could be a guy or a girl that's probably single and they most likely live in Southeast Asia. (laughs) So what's the term for the person that lives in Europe? Are they a remote worker? I don't know. This is just what comes up in my mind when I hear the term digital nomad. I would say somebody that's moving around multiple times a year and single. Yeah. One thing's for sure, though, no matter what term that you use, a lot of people on the web, they rightfully, I think, glorify this lifestyle, right? Like you get to live and work when you want freedom, paradise, palm trees, coconuts. There's a lot of people that are really celebrating this opportunity. I understand why people have the exuberance. You know, I'm one of them. It's an amazing opportunity. But I don't think there's enough out there about the potential downsides or the challenges that this lifestyle brings. But a couple of our friends have actually done some deep thinking on this, and we've invited them to the show today. These are two people, both members of our community, the DC. So we met Stacy in Bali in 2011. And she still runs a business. It's now at Brazen Profit Lab, where she coaches 
online entrepreneurs. Since that time, since the glory days back in Bali, Stacy's lived in many locations in Asia, including a stint in Chiang Mai. And as we talked to her today, she now lives in Europe. The other friend we invited on the show is Mark Manson, who started traveling and working in Latin America, Europe, and Asia in the year 2009. But both have recently decided to put down Roots and take on year leases. I know you know all about Roots, boss man. You're probably digging up a few right now. Big deal. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, whatever you call them, digital nomads, remote workers, I mean, a year lease is like, may as well be 10 years. All this discussion, Ian, started with an article that Mark wrote in 2013 called The Dark Side of Digital Nomadism, which I believe has brief allusions to DCBKK in side of it. If you go back into one of our original DCBKKs, this was published about three years ago. If you want to read that article and all the other pieces that are mentioned in this conversation, we'll link to them at our show notes, tropicalmba.com slash longview. So this conversation starts with Mark describing the origins of that piece, the downsides of digital nomadism. CNN wanted me to write something about the lifestyle, and they were just kind of like, you know, don't make it cheesy, like one of these quit your job and live your dreams type things. And I was like, don't worry, I don't want to write cheesy. And so I actually suggested to him, I was like, you know, I can write kind of like the negative side about it, you know, because nobody ever talks about that. I think I was about three or four years into it. And so I started to kind of see the negative repercussions of the lifestyle, you know, so I had seen some of my relationships with people back home deteriorate. I'd gone through that phase where it's like, you know, that first year or two, you meet tons of new people and you're like, wow, I'm making all these friends. And then as soon as you leave the country, you just stop hearing from them and it's disappointing. And then I had had the experience a lot where, as I described in the piece, like you meet some really amazing, cool people, but two weeks later, one of you goes somewhere else and you kind of just, your friendship just exists online. And that's also frustrating because you meet all these great people, you want to spend time with them. And so I felt like this was something about this lifestyle that like nobody was really talking about yet. So I was like, screw it. I'll be the one who talks about it. I remember when that piece dropped, it was like... <laughs> Stacy, one of the critiques that the community of people who are living this lifestyle often receive is that these people are damaged in some way. I think that's something that you brought up in your piece, Mark. What do you think about that after having met hundreds of people? And is there something that motivates this that comes from people running away from something? I think there's definitely an element of it. For a lot of people that I've met, you wouldn't necessarily consider these guys that I've got in my mind at the moment digital nomads. But I remember like the men that I used to see at like 45, 50, propping up the Black Dog Bar in Chiang Mai at like one o'clock in the afternoon, drinking like Chang and not even export, like the bad one, you know. You're like, (laughs) something went wrong in life. This is where you are at this point. Like, what are you running away from? And, And like, I know the digital nomads, location dependent type, maybe don't fall into that. I think there's like a fear of committing to things we like starting things we like seeing new things and doing things um like in the spur of the moment i don't know if we're damaged but definitely fearful in some ways what about you mark how are you damaged just keep it to one (laughs) just one my god we could do a whole podcast just on that i agree with stacy i mean the way i've always seen it is whenever you get 
kind of like a fringe lifestyle, like a lifestyle that exists kind of on the extremities of what is like socially deemed normal. You get some characters on it. There's not really any in between. Like most of the people I meet living this way, they're either extremely interesting and doing something very interesting or have a very interesting past, or they're kind of like they're people like you would never want to hang out with back home. Like either they're into some really shady stuff or like Stacy said, like something just went wrong and they're just sketchy. And I think it comes with living any sort of like really new lifestyle that's kind of like undiscovered. I think there's like an armor that comes with living this way, you know, like you say so many goodbyes, you know, you say so many hellos, you get asked the same question so many times, you know that that person that you just had a beer with and really, really got on with and would love to have ran to your place for dinner, you might never see them again. And you have to kind of like learn how to hold everything with a very open hand. You have to be in the moment that you value it then because you never know if it will ever exist again in your life, you know, you put an armor up around you to protect from that. I definitely agree with that. And there's also an element of, I don't know how to say this politely (laughs) without perhaps insulting a bunch of acquaintances of mine, but there's a certain level of like delusion that is easy to maintain when you're living somewhere like in the middle of Thailand or Vietnam or Colombia. Like you're able to like put yourself in this little bubble where a thousand bucks a month like buys you a great lifestyle. And so you're able to convince yourself that you're like doing really important, amazing things. And you have this new idea for an app that's going to change the world and you know meanwhile like you're not really doing anything it's just a bunch of talk and like people are able to kind of carry on this way for years and it's disconcerting there's a balance to that too because i've suffered from many delusions and in some ways enjoy the fertility that those delusions (laughs) receive when i am in places that are so far away from home because at home it's sort of the opposite problem oftentimes is that you're controlled by all these forces at least someone like me i don't know how if i'm appropriately socially conscious or whatever but it worries me that i'm not fulfilling the expectation and that i might not be x y or z and so when you go to a place that's no one gives a shit except to say why are you here which is by the way a very appropriate question to be asking no one ever asked me this when i would go to my office job no one would say why are you here i certainly felt a complete sense of hell yeah at least at the beginning and i can see where that can go awry right because it can be this incredibly empowering freeing feeling and then you don't have any mooring to any kind of social reality necessarily it's that old saying there's a fine line between genius and crazy i think it definitely applies like there's people that i meet that it's like well either your idea is total shit or like you're gonna be worth like 50 million dollars in a couple of years like i have no idea which but (laughs) one of the things you point out mark is that the price of overwhelming freedom is my own isolation what did you mean by that ultimately and this is so like cheesy and cliche but after spending five six years on the road mostly alone you kind of realize that if you want people close to you in your life like it requires sacrifice and commitment like you have to make the decision of like i'm going to give up other opportunities because this person or these few people are important to me at least speaking for myself you know i used to have some delusions about my own limitations like i thought that like anything's possible i can go anywhere and be friends with anybody and have a 
amazing relationships and it doesn't matter where you are and how often you talk and all this stuff. And the reality is just that's not true. Like there's something to be said about just really mundane, repeated exposure with people in your life that you care about. And so, yeah, there were a lot of times where I just felt very isolated, even when I was surrounded by people I knew and I liked and I hung out with. Like it just felt very isolating because of all the stuff that Stacy said earlier. It's like, well, half these people aren't going to be here in a few weeks. I found myself after a few years falling into this habit of just kind of being like, well, what's the point? Like, what's the point of trying so hard? Like, what's the point of like caring so much? You know, Stacy, what would you say to somebody who listens to these gripes and says, oh, well, first off, talk about a bunch of fantastic problems to have. But second off, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I saw it coming all along. We all knew this, that this was going to happen to you guys. How would you respond to that? I mean, you knew what was going to happen. I mean, as much as I might have a few gripes, I wouldn't have changed this for the world. Like, I wouldn't have changed what I've done, you know. I would have had just a different set of problems if I'd have made different choices. For those people that are going to be like, you know, the finger pointers and the naysayers, I say, fuck you. Sorry. I don't feel like I made better choices than anyone else. I don't feel like my life's so much better because I, you know, got passports that are stamped from here to high heaven. But the other day, my mother came here and like, just to kind of go back on something Mark said about, you know, the people that mean something to you. My mum came to my house in Berlin and we haven't really been too patty patty for a really long time to the point where like, she spent 12 days living under my roof. That's a whole next different story. But she opened my passport and I saw the look of pride in my mother's face at how experienced her daughter was and it was weird I saw me through her eyes for a second and I went you know what I wouldn't change this for a world but now I know that there's things that my brothers and sisters and my nieces and nephews like I want to be closer to them and that's one of the reasons I'm based in Berlin to make that more accessible you know so I did it my way I'm happy with it (laughs) for some people the benefits are going to outweigh the cost like I'm the same way I don't regret any of it it's one of the best things I ever did with my life I loved it but I also think I'm personally just my personality where I was at the time in my life like I was pretty predisposed to like excel in that sort of situation I've met a ton of people who make the leap and start this lifestyle and they get about six months in and they're just like wow this is not for me like I want to go home and that's fine there's nothing wrong with that and I think the only problem is when you get people on either side of the fence when you get digital nomads who kind of have a chip on their shoulder and they think that you know there's something like inherently amazing about them because they went and lived in third world countries for x amount of time it depends on the person it depends on what they want out of life everything has its associated problem and sacrifice and living like a digital nomad's no different can i ask Mark, what do you think are like the traits that you see in the people that don't kind of like stay the course you know that six months in they're like peace out and done the biggest thing i've seen is just the need for structure i think everybody i know who's started and then just kind of bailed on it they're like i need to know where i buy my coffee every day i need to know you know where my gym's gonna be like it just drives them crazy it creates more stress than it solves for them I have a theory I'll run by you guys. I think the biggest indicator is the ability to make money while doing it because money kind of solves the problem. At the end of the day, there's very few people that don't want to adventure or do some slow traveling or some just straight up traveling quite a bit. And there's very few people who don't want some kind of home life. I think what happens in the location independent scene is that both of those polar opposites are so expensive that you generally have to give up one in order to get the other if you don't have a lot of resources. 
I think that's definitely a factor because yeah, you do need that runway time, which is very hard. And I guess some people can't weather through that. I mean, one thing I've learned is just watching a few people close to me kind of take on this lifestyle. There's certain things like, and I'm sure you guys have experienced this too. It's like, there are certain things that are actually like really a big deal in your life that you don't realize until you're like, taken completely out of your comfort zone, like really basic mundane things, you know, like the type of food you eat or, you know, the ability to like talk to your friends on Facebook or something like that. I've just met a number of people who are like, yeah, sorry, like Asia's cool, but I don't like all my friends back home waking up, you know, getting online at midnight. So they're just like, screw it, I'm going back. They're not as like entranced by the adventure. They show up, it's amazing for three weeks or a month, and then they're kind of like, okay, so what? That's just a personality difference. So, I mean, the friction caused by starting a business, you definitely lose a lot of people through that period. But I know a few people in my life who are successful and who had things going where they definitely could have made some money on it. And they just decided, they're like, no, I'd rather be back in California. I'd rather be back in Florida or wherever. Something that came up for me, like Dan was saying, like money solves the problem. I think they're also, after a certain period of time, there are people that kind of make themselves, and I don't want to be un-PC when I say this word, right? But like digital refugees almost in a certain way, you know, like they almost can't go home. They almost remind me, and I don't know why I'm making this connection, but I'm thinking of like the black dudes that hang out in Gorlitzer Park in Berlin doing some like shady stuff by the station, right? And like when you speak to them, they're like, you know, I can't go home riding the same bicycle that I left with. And I think talking about that kind of like coconut money where you've got like two grand and you can live on the beach and have Chang and you can eat out every night and you can stay in a half decent apartment in Chiang Mai and it looks like you're like living the high life in Chiang Mai. That doesn't translate back at home. You haven't learned how to sustain that lifestyle in the Western world. And um, whilst you're there, just talking to people through Facebook, just like FaceTiming them on the beach, you almost kind of create this illusion of what your life is like, you know, like, but it's not real. That was part of the reason for me. I came back to Europe because I wanted to put a fire under my ass again. Like Europe and like real money will do that to you. I've totally seen that too. It's like people, they start this lifestyle, they taste a little bit of success, they start making a little bit of money, but they end up in this really uncomfortable spot where it's like they're making enough money to like live in the third world, but they're not making enough money to live well in the first world. And so they just get stuck. The influx of new people, it's weird because you're like when you can see how old you've grown by looking at kids and you're like, oh my God, he's two, he's three, he's four. When with all the new people coming in, like you start to believe your own bullshit. Like you don't yourself reflecting in other people because they're not around long enough you know i'm going to use the power of audio technology just to come in here and say first off i loved having this conversation there's still a lot of good stuff to come i just love this term digital refugee it made me crack up and it makes me want to trademark it on stacy's behalf i think it's funny but look this isn't an isolated thing to digital nomads or entrepreneurs or expats. We all know the expats who go to Thailand or whatever and can never come home because their skill set becomes irrelevant. They drop out of society and they can't come back. But this isn't something that's unique to the entrepreneurial community or to the traveling community. I think it has a lot to do with how serious you are about business, right? One of the things that we've often talked about on this show is when you have a lifestyle that's so full of these benefits, right? Like you can go where you want, you can work when you want, you don't have to have a boss, all these things. There becomes a lot of crossover with just the plain old, I don't want to do stuff crowd. (laughs) 
and they get mixed in, you know, and then all of a sudden that can reflect poorly on the crowd as a whole. But I don't think that that reflects on the serious entrepreneurs who take up the benefits of world travel and time freedom. Yeah, there's always going to be the bottom of the barrel, right? <laughs> there's gonna Guys be, like you and me. There's, there's always- <laughs> going to be guys like us that you think about. But then there's also going to be these other examples of people, which I think you're talking about, which are the leaders of the community. And the bottom line, I think, is that when you live this lifestyle, you meet a lot of really freaking interesting people. That's on both ends of the spectrum. You know, I remember shaking the hand of the vice president of the Philippines. And my friend reminded me, like, do you know whose hand you just shaked? And then on the other hand, you see the guy who's been posted up at the bar for 25 years. You see it all. And I think that that's why people are attracted to going around and having adventures, because you just never know what you're going to run into. You know, Dan, back in the day, we used to be called adventurers. Maybe we should go back to that or explorers. Who called you adventure? Someone <laughs> called you adventure. Oh, talking about this people that, you know, sailed on those three ships that came oh, to yeah. America. Yeah, those guys were explorers. Now all of a sudden you get on a plane with a laptop, you're and demoted you're a to digital nomad. Yeah, it's some cliche. <laughs> it's like- <laughs> Let's get back to the conversation, Ian. So here's another interesting thing about Stacy. In fact, there's a lot of interesting things about her, but I had to ask her about this piece that she wrote called The Illegal Entrepreneur. And she published it at the time under a pseudonym, JC Brazen. She wanted to address some of the hard facts about being a digital nomad, namely the sort of white lies you have to tell to the government in order to undertake your business practices. So I had to ask her about this piece that got published in the fallout thereafter. Should I stay or should I go? It's always taste, taste, taste. We want this freedom, right? Like in terms of being able to go wherever we want, but there are still like the laws of the countries that we go to. And we're always on the fringes of a lot of these laws, not always because we want to be, but sometimes because the bureaucracy and the paperwork and all the other kind of, you know, dot here, sign here, cross here, go over 27 borders and come back here kind of stops you from being legal. And the interesting thing is that most of us are not as nomadic as we would like to think. I mean, why do you have to do five border runs in a year if you're a nomad, you know, like... Move on. We have these hubs that we start to think of as home, you know, as as our little nesting place. And we end up being these illegal entrepreneurs in them because we can't pay taxes. We're coming in on these, I shouldn't speak too much if I get arrested, but coming in on the holiday visa, visa on arrival. I remember living in Bali and like, yeah, anyway, thank you, Wyan. (laughs) (laughs) Wyan's always there. enough rupee you're all right and what kind of reaction did you get to publishing this piece because i noticed you published in chiang mai city life and not on your own blog how did people respond i got flamed by my community like they were like why are you talking about this stuff you know why are you shining a light on this i think i published it under this like really bogus name mainly because I didn't want to connect it too much to myself. As I said, it was very bogus. I published it in the Chiang Mai City Life because at that point in time, and that was just the, it was in its infancy then, it was the hub for the digital nomads, you know, like, but we'd started to fade out of Bali and Chiang Mai was where it was popping. And that's where everybody was. I had these issues. My colleagues had these issues. My friends had these issues. And Chiang Mai City Life wanted a voice for it. So I put my hand up. My community and my peers kind of gave me some shit for it. What do you guys think about that disassociation, Mark? Like specifically from, there's a lot of criticism of these people. They just swing into a country, like they don't particularly respect it or contribute in a meaningful way. And that that is a critique of the lifestyle, generally speaking. So like on moral grounds, I don't have much of a problem with it. I think the reason 
places like Thailand don't really enforce this type of stuff very strongly is because these people, like they spend so much money relative to the level of the Thai economy that the Thai government just kind of doesn't care. It's not worth it for them to try to enforce it. I actually made this post. I hadn't seen Stacey's article, but I made this post on the DC forums once when this topic came up again. I think there was like a scare, like they raided a internet cafe or something in Chiang Mai and a bunch of people were like getting really upset. They're like, uh, first rule of Fight Club, you don't talk about Fight Club. And like, I just posted, I'm like, guys, do you really think you can do this forever? Thailand is one of the fastest growing countries in the world. At some point, the government's going to wake up and be like, you know what? We don't need these expats money anymore. We want tax revenue. And so they're going to go around. They're going to arrest everybody. They're going to demand to see visas. Border control is going to tighten up. They're going to start checking stamps. If I had one big criticism of a lot of people in this lifestyle in general, it's their time horizon is so short. One of the big reasons I started wanting to give up this lifestyle and wanted to move back to the first world and kind of settle down is I started asking myself, I was like, you know, do I want to be doing visa runs? in Colombia when I'm 45. And I was just like, hell no, absolutely not. You know, like at some point, at some age, I don't know when it might be when I'm 35, 40, 45. But at some point, I'm going to want a stable life. I'm going to want a first world life. I'm going to want like good safety and education for my kids. Like I don't want to be screwing around with their passports and visas trying to get them into this country and into that country. Like it's just to me, it's kind of irresponsible of like not looking that far ahead. And so, yeah, I just think I have no problem with people kind of skirting visa laws and stuff like that because a lot of them are so arbitrary anyway. But like, I just think it's really, really silly to like think they can do it forever and think it's a life to do it forever. You know, like that's not a life. That's a temporary, it should be a temporary thing. You know, you shouldn't be going on like year six of visa runs. If you have like 26 stamps from Laos from doing visa runs, like that's kind of like should be a wake up call (laughs) to ask what you're doing with yourself. A lot of this, you know, I was in the blogosphere very early on with you, Stacey and Mark, and a lot of the voices were dudes. And it's basically like a very strong dude culture or it's a lot of male voices. And when you show up to these events, it's so many males. Yeah. I'm curious, Stacey, how do you feel like the message might have been different if it were women? speaking about this movement? Like, how do women approach it differently than men, in your view? The average woman who embarks on this type of lifestyle, on this type of journey, has to have a fairly, I don't want to kind of like say, well, I'll say, uh, you have to have a fairly masculine mindset in some ways, yeah? You have to be able to roll with the punches and like, give it as good as you get it. And like, if you're going to like, fall apart every time you hear something that sounds a little bit sexist or a little bit off color or blue, you won't last five minutes, you know. But I think one of the biggest issues is that, you know, we come with our MacBook Airs and our, oh yeah, we're going to start a location-dependent business. And we also come with all this estrogen, you know, it comes with us. And there are certain like feminine traits and certain characteristics and just of being a, I don't want to generalize, but of being a woman of certain nurturing, of certain things that we're told we want to have, like family and children and settling down and you know the white picket fence and all this kind of stuff and I think you get to a certain point where you do start having these am I sacrificing things that are going to be more valuable for me like when I'm 60 for like a conference (laughs) right now you know for like hanging out in Bali for the next six months and you start having these very uncomfortable decisions and conversations with yourself. One of the things Mark said in his article is these vices And like, it seems like a lot of male vices that you were pointing to. Yeah, well, especially when the article was written. I mean, the first conference of you guys that I went to was DC Berlin. And I think DC Berlin was like, Stacey, I think you were one of the like 
three women there. <laughs> like it was just an entire room full of dudes. And like, let's be honest, like you put a bunch of 20 something year old guys in the middle of Thailand or Vietnam or Colombia, and it's like they get themselves into trouble. They indulge, like things are cheap, things are easy. So there is definitely an aspect of that to this lifestyle that, you know, it is what it is. It's, I personally think, I think it's so male dominated just for the fact, and actually a reader pointed this out to me a couple of years ago, is she just made the simple observation. She's like traveling in these countries it's a different experience as like a 25 year old guy as it is a 25 year old girl especially like places like latin america africa middle east it's absolutely a different experience young men in general are, are a little bit more risk-taking like they're comfortable with risky behavior and that attracts a certain type of guy but i mean we're just now in the last year or two we're just now starting to see more women crop up Do you know i would say some of it is lack of opportunity i don't necessarily think that <laughs> the women are so risk averse or we would get involved in this risky behavior we just don't have as much opportunity and choice you know like the average woman I'll say Chiang Mai or Bali you know western woman and I guess I'm thinking about relationships and men and getting involved in the local culture and stuff like that like for a 25 year old white American male like Chiang Mai's your oyster Bangkok's your oyster why they all are you know and I think for the average woman of the same kind of age from the same sort of place, her world shrinks in that regard oh. very, very quickly. That's very true. And I can definitely say for Latin America, it's like if you're a 25-year-old guy and you go to like Peru or Colombia, you're like Brad Pitt all of a sudden. You know, it's like... This is where the delusions come in, right? Exactly. The nerdy guy who was rejected all through high school and college is like suddenly Brad Pitt. And That's me. If you're a 25-year-old woman and you start walking around Colombia and Peru at night, like you get harassed. Like, the culture down there is that Western women are easy and if they're by themselves, then it's free game and they can say whatever they want. They can grab you. They can follow you. And it's really intimidating. It's the same culture that is kind of like a playground for a young single guy it can easily be a nightmare for a young single woman. Stacy, do you feel like you've, by choosing to travel around the world and stuff, that you've exposed yourself to more sketchy males than you needed to? Or how do you think about that on the whole? I think I've had a slightly different experience than a lot of women that I meet in this lifestyle. And I've always kind of imported my partners in, you know, so like <laughs> I've always had a, 90% of the time of this lifestyle, I've had a partner. They've always kind of come from where I've come from. So I've met them and they've gone, oh, this sounds fun. I'll quit my job and join you, you know. I tend to be more cut out for this lifestyle than they are. And I'm still doing it and they're not. But I would say, yeah, I have been exposed to a lot of sketchy male behavior, but I try not to take it too seriously. A lot of the guys that you see like behaving like complete dicks in some environments are actually really sweet, lovely, kind, thoughtful individuals who just like a kid in a candy shop, you know, it's fun to watch sometimes. Tell me about your new homes a little bit. Can you tell me the story, Stacey, of how you ended up in Berlin? Yeah, partly awful. I'd never been to Berlin before. And then I was living in, actually, I remember I was in Vietnam. Like, it was my first time to Vietnam. And the tickets for DC Burr had just gone on. And I was speaking to someone. I was like, bye, 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 bye. You know, I wanted to make sure I got one. So I was like, right, I've got this ticket now. And it was in April of 2013, I think it was. Nice. And we were staying at the Enhau, right next to Warschauerstrasse. And I was like, on one of the breaks, we ended up in Bergheim. But I stood <laughs> over on the bridge. The sun was going down over the city. And I just, I just, wow. Like, even the hair stands up on my arm now. I got that feeling that I got the very first time I landed in Bali. And I smelt Bali. And I smelt the clothes and the frangipani. And I heard the language. And I was just like, I'm sold. Sign me up. 
And I got that feeling in Berlin and I hadn't had that feeling in a really long time. And I was looking for a European city. I knew I wanted to go back to Europe and I didn't know where. And before I even committed, I went to Barcelona. <laughs> I went to Hungary. Um, and I came here and I never left, you know. So I don't think I'd ever live in London again. But Berlin ticks a ton of boxes for me in terms of being a great Western city without being like London. So, yeah, that's how I ended up here. Mark, you've chosen a different path. So it, it became pretty clear, I'd say, end of 2014, early 2015, that I was kind of done. And I'd been traveling with my girlfriend and she had been nomadic with me for about two years. And she was like desperately telling me like, let's stop, please. <laughs> but we had an interesting situation in that she's a Brazilian citizen and I'm a US citizen. And so there's logistical issues in terms of like visas and whatever. So we split time between the US and Brazil in 2015. Last year, we kind of decided we were getting married. So one of us needs to get the other residence for the other country. And so it was kind of a no brainer that she should get residence for the US because we don't want to end up in Brazil long term. So it was going to be somewhere in the US. And then I have a book coming out this year and I've been getting a lot more like media opportunities out of New York and we both love New York. It's been a dream of mine to live here since I was a teenager. So we figured screw it. Yeah, come to New York for a couple of years, signed a lease, bought furniture. Crazy. Which for all the nomads out there, if you decide to hang it up and go home the day you need to buy furniture, like when you own nothing and you need to start an apartment from scratch, my God, there's so much crap. It gets real. Stuff you don't think about, like hand soap and cooking spoons. Printers. And printers. Gotta have a printer. Little hand towels, like just a million. Extension cords. A million things. A million things. Lamps. Dust pan and brush. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, when you partner up with the person, you're also partnering up with the passport. Yeah. And there's a lot of these interesting stories that are coming out about how people are dealing. It's long been a thing, but with expats, it's more like expats go someplace to be there. Whereas with location-independent entrepreneurs, you could be on one of your whirling tours, meet someone charming in a place that you only intended to be for six months. And then all of a sudden, you have to figure out where you can be together. Yeah. To finish off, Mark, you posted something in the DC a year ago called, is this like the death of the coconut cowboy? And you were making observations about the last DC event that you attended. You know, you were saying a lot more couples, a lot more people focused on being in a location or basically a transition from nomadism to independent online business, you know? And so I'm just curious, like, what do you think are some of the key trends? Like, where is this community going over the next few years in your eyes? That's a good question. I do think we will see more of a shift and maybe even a split between kind of the coconut cowboy or the digital refugee people, you know, who kind of are just like, you know what, screw it, I'm just going to bounce around forever or I'm going to hang out in Bali forever. And then kind of people more on this path where it's like, okay, that was fun for a few years, but I want to have an apartment, I want to have a stable lifestyle and just do big trips each year, you know. As people get older, I mean, that's the other aspect about this community is, you know, the average age is probably somewhere around like 27, 28. I think as people get older, their priorities start to shift. And as their businesses grow, they need more stability. They need to be more present as issues start popping up like marriage and family and mortgage and all this stuff. Like they're going to want to be rooted down somewhere, I think. What about you, Stacey? We're going to have the 80-20 of it, right? You're going to have the 80% back at home, like, working in Walmart, talking about that time they lived in Jeremiah. <laughs> 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 the 
other 20% like of whom 0.4% will have you know started something like Uber or whatever but yeah I guess I would just want to reflect back a little bit to the fact that like I think we thought we were starting something really cool and new but when I think about being in India in like 2000 and I met people that were nomads then and they worked out how to have all this freedom then they just didn't do it from a laptop they just had different ways of earning money you know like we're just taking the tools and the tools that grow with us you know as technology evolves etc but I don't think we're that special we've just gave it a fancy name like they were just called hippies then (laughs) you know (laughs) talking about like where it came from where is it going who knows you know I'm excited to kind of sit in my apartment in Berlin and watch it from here (laughs) (laughs) do you know what I will say do it despite everything we've just said absolutely absolutely you want to do it 100%. I did a podcast with another guy a few months ago, and he asked me something. He was like, what are you most excited about? And I was like, I'm going to have my own apartment soon. And like, I'm going to have a lease and my own furniture. And he was like, you're not supposed to say that. Like, my entire podcast (laughs) is like based on the idea of like starting a business and going to Thailand or something. And I was like, look, man, just do it. Like, do it. Just make sure you come back eventually. That's my... They tell you you can live there for $400 a month. They lied. First off, we got to thank Mark and Stacy for coming on the show. It's thrilling to be on the phone with those two. I was laughing. I mean, they're good friends of mine. It was cool to catch up. And they have great websites. So I encourage you to check them out. MarkManson.com and BrazenProfitLab.com. These and other resources will be posted at our website, TropicalMBA.com slash Longview. I feel like I should get paid for that. It's like a live read. <laughs> Find all the interesting things that Bossman and I are doing at TropicalMBA.com. It's our house. Come on in. Let's reflect on some of the things that they said quickly. I'm curious, do you think that being a digital nomad is a phase, that it's necessarily a phase, or can you do it forever? Maybe a better question is, do you want to do it forever? I know people like yourself, Dan, that have very little interest in coming back to the country that they were born and raised in. For some people, that lasts three weeks. For other people, that lasts 30 years. I think it's a very personal decision. Do I think that more and more people will leave their home country to explore other places to live? Yes, absolutely. Do I think it's becoming easier to do that and to make a living at the same time? Absolutely. But I think it's such a personal decision to be able to make that decision, I think, that you have to explore these places. I do want to say this though. I think in the past, a lot of people left their country of origin because they had to because of work. So for example, my great-grandfather lived in India because he was in the oil business and that's where he needed to be in order to do his work. But now you're seeing people travel to India and Asia and other places around the world from the United States because they want to live there. And I think this is really, might be the first time in history that people are doing this and they're doing it successfully right assuming there's like no professional connection right that you just right go there and exist there to enjoy the place before retirement right and you're not escaping religious persecution or anything like that (laughs) or the law right you're going there strictly because you can and i think that that will become more popular and our government's willing hopefully more accessible Absolutely. I just visualize the world and the borders just if they used to be walls, they're turning into fences and someday they just might be suggestions. 
you know, nations aren't like the oldest thing on the planet. You know, I mean, they're relatively new things. So are passports. It'll be interesting to see how this movement is sort of a canary in the coal mine for the the way that these things are changing. You know, to answer the question about borders and passports and things like that, I think what we have to do, Dan, if we really want to be proactive and help people travel to other countries and be able to work there, we have to work with these countries on their tax code. <laughs> That's all they want, right? It's just like, here, how, here's right. how you tax me while I'm there. Now, let me in. Sure. And all of a sudden, it would make a whole lot more sense, right? It's like, well, hey, this is a great privilege to be able to be here in Thailand. I'm happy to contribute Yeah, if there's a way for me to do so. So interesting. We're curious about your views on the long view. Is being a slow travel or digital nomad, location-independent entrepreneur just a phase? Is this something you're going to sustain forever? And what do you think the future of the movement is? We're fascinated by this discussion and would love to hear your thoughts. TropicalMBA.com slash long view in the short view. We will be back next Thursday morning. And are we going to be able to put out that smoking tire interview? I hope so. Are we willing to commit to that on this show? We can commit to that. Yeah, I had Matt Farah on the podcast. Some of you might know him from The Smoking Tire. I think he is one of the most successful automotive journalists today. And he's done it his way. And a lot of it has to do with YouTube. So I'm happy to share that story with you all next week. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.